0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us and that you've given us your spirit that we might call you Father and expect, Lord, great things from you. And so help us to see Jesus Christ, the one on whom these things are based and through whom they come, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about the depth of God's commitment to us. Now, life can be a marvellous adventure, full of joy and surprise and pleasure. But, of course, life can also be an uncertain journey, with much to lose and many ways to fail. And sometimes even life is a you know, terrible storm, with darkness and thunder, cold and howling winds and trees falling all about you. There are certain Bible passages that people turn to in these kind of uncertain, dark moments. Psalm 23 is one of them. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. These words remind us of God's care. They breathe peace And calm. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These words remind us of God's power and protective presence, and they inspire courage in us. And our passage from Romans 8 is one of those passages that you can turn to in times of storm and darkness, because it includes words like these. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so whatever we face, whether it's hard or easy, God works for the good of his children in it and through it. And maybe we can't see this good from where we're standing. It seems like a howling gale. It all feels pretty bad, but we trust this scripture, we trust that at some level, God is working in us and for us, not against us. He is bringing us to himself, despite every test and despite and through all our tears. Or we might look at the way this passage ends, which was picked out as the verse for the day. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's conviction about the unbreakable hold that God's love has upon us puts hope in our hearts and strength in our arms. These are verses about God's commitment to us which comfort us in trouble. And so today I want to look at two things. Firstly, God's commitment to us from soup to nuts. And secondly, God's indomitable love for us in Jesus Christ. So let's start with this truth. God is committed to us from soup to nuts. Now, I enjoy P.G. Woodhouse novels. I don't know if you do too. Hands up, anyone? P.G. Woodhouse? Especially those ones that are about Bertie Wooster and his invaluable man, Jeeves. And from uh, these novels, I learned the expression from soup to nuts. The soup, of course, is the first course of dinner. It's the beginning. It's where everything starts. And the nuts are what you have with your cigar and brandy at the end of the night. It is the very end. It's where everything comes to its finale. And so to say God is committed to us from soup to nuts means that God is committed to us from start to finish, from beginning to end and all the way through the middle too. In verse 28 of Romans 8, Christians are referred to as, firstly, those who love God, but secondly, those who have been called according to his purpose. And this second description of God's children as called according to his purpose introduces a new dimension into Paul's description of the children of God, which we've been you know, unfolding or moving through as we've come to the end of Romans 8. So not only are we the children of God, those who believe in Christ, not only are we in Christ Jesus, uh, not only are we led by the Spirit, not only do we call God Father, but we are also called according to God's purpose. Paul draws out what he means in these next verses. He says in verse 29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The Bible can say God knew or foreknew and means something like God chose, God set apart, God put his affection on him. Had a special purpose for. For example, if we go to Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, verse 5, if we read, or first, let's start at verse 4. We read the, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations kind of threefold developing way of Jeremiah talking about the fact that God chose him to be a prophet before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I set you apart I appointed you as a prophet to the nations and so uh, being set apart by God and appointed for something is Parallel to the idea of being known by God. We have this also in Romans 11. Um, Romans 11 begins like this. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. And so uh, God did not reject his people. He instead foreknew them. That is, he set them apart as his own for a purpose and a destiny. He chose them rather than rejected them. So God does not wait and wonder who will take up his offer of salvation in Christ when God determines to save, to send his son into the world and call people to repentance and faith and die for them on the cross and rise to new life. God is not thinking, I wonder how this will go. I wonder if anyone will go for it, whether anyone will believe in Jesus. No, we are not God's children because we were wise enough or good enough to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus. Actually, this is God's work in us. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God does not wait to see who will prove suitable and willing to be conformed to the image of his son. Rather, he plans ahead for it to happen for us. The initiative in our salvation is God's and the power and the action in our salvation is God's. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The image of God's son is true humanity. This is God's a destination for us. It's the way we were meant to be, not bent by sin, not ravaged by mortality, not haunted by fear, but alive to God, full of goodness, free and glorious. This is the image of his son. There's another way, though, we might think about what it is to be conformed to the image of God's son. Because What is the image of God's son? What is the pattern of his career, his life, his way of being? It is to suffer, die and rise. This is what we see in Jesus. This is the way the New Testament describes him to us constantly as the one who who came, suffered, died and arose. And so we resemble him. We step into his pattern. We become like him. We are in his image. When we pass the same way, through suffering and death, and rise triumphant by God's power. So when God predestines us to be conformed to the image of his Son, we think of the journey towards the glory as well as the final destination, that is, through suffering and death. This is the plan God had down for us before we ever were born, and the plan he will bring to completion. Verse 30, And those he predestined he also called, Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So, if foreknown is the kind of soup course, the very beginning, and glorified is the after-dinner bowl of nuts, all these things will come about in the life of God's children because God will bring them about. Now, you might have questions about this. Here are two that might occur to you, that occurred to me. What about my free will? What about my choice? What about my responsibility to repent and believe? And that's a good question. The fact is that the Bible unashamedly asserts both our real choice and our need to repent and believe, as well as God's action, God's power at work in us for our salvation. These things come right next to each other sometimes. His. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Both those things are there. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't be complacent. Don't think, I don't need to do anything. Work it out. Work it out seriously. Committedly, intentionally. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. He is the one who's doing this somehow as well as you needing to do it. Um, we can talk afterwards or any time about the ins and outs of this. It is a bit of a brain bender, but there it is. The Bible is what you might call compatibilist that is to say it regards God's sovereignty his power to bring his will about as compatible with our real choice and responsibility. These things are both true. They don't contradict each other. Another question you might have about this idea that God is at work, he's, he's committed to us from soup to nuts and he brings it about he foreknows calls and glorifies, you might ask, does this mean we can divide people into the chosen and the unchosen? Again, that's a good question. It seems to me that the scriptures talk about predestination in the way they do here in Romans 8, in order to speak to believers about the depth of God's commitment to us. It's an assurance to us of the way God's salvation goes before us, travels with us, Comes behind us, that it's a total package where God has looked after the end even from the beginning. It is, as the 39 articles suggest, full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort. It seems to me that the scriptures don't speak of predestination in order that we might divide people into chosen and unchosen. Romans 9-11, to in fact, is Paul's long argument against doing that. Knowing that salvation is God unfolding his plan for us, from soup to nuts, is the point. God is not hands-off in our salvation. It's not, oh, gosh, I really hope Gerald does believe in Jesus. Too bad if Tiffany couldn't kind of hang in there till the end... Rather, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Even though the glorification is yet to come, it's still to happen, but it's spoken of as past because it is as sure as if it had already happened. There's the first point I want to dwell on and unfold with you. Secondly, God's love for us in Christ is indomitable. Now, another work of literature that I have enjoyed in my time is the Asterix comics. I don't know if you've enjoyed those as well. Asterix, the Gaul. These open with the words, the year is 50 BC. Gaul is entirely occupied by the Romans. Well, not entirely, One small village of indomitable Gauls still holds out against the invaders. And you may know uh, indomitable means unconquerable, impossible to hold down or defeat. Asterix the Gaul and his fellow villagers were indomitable because uh, they had a magic potion that was brewed by the village druid Getifix. and um, this made them completely unbeatable. But Romans 8:31 to 35 to 39 is a kind of hymn to the indomitable love of God, the indomitable God and he is all in love for us. What then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us who can be against us? Paul has no doubt that God is for us he who did not spare his own son he says but gave him up. For us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? So, when we worry about whether we're going to be impoverished, whether we're going to be left somehow with nothing in the end, we're going to lose, Paul says that in giving us His Son, God has given us what is most valuable. We won't lack anything, now or in the end. We shall not want. As Psalm 23 says, God will give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. When we worry if we're good enough, if we worry that the sins of our past will in the end drag us down. The Apostle assures us that in Christ, God has provided pardon for sins. We may live at peace, forgiven. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered Now, Jesus, God's beloved son, faced trouble and hardship, danger and sword. He was as a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all this, God loved him. And through all this, he came away victorious, vindicated, raised again. And so we too will face trouble and danger and even death. But this is not a sign that God has abandoned us. It's not a sign that he does not love us. Rather, we too shall emerge from all this victorious in the end. No, says Paul, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. We may not feel like conquerors as we face life and death, angels and demons, the present and the future. We may tremble. You and I may faint doubt, possibly even despair at times. We may not feel lifted up on the wings of God's love as we deal with life's quick storms or slow famines. When we're in the pit, we feel it. But the love of God is for us and with us even there. The storms will pass, the famines will ease, the love of God will do its work for us, inevitably, indomitably. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the renewal of all things, the love of God we know now in part will fill our senses. It will fulfill our faith and answer all our hopes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do assure us of your commitment to us and your love for us. And may that be indeed full of sweet comfort to us. May it be an encouragement for us. May it help us to bear up under all the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Help us, Lord, to have the faith, confidence, the conviction that Paul had that because you have not spared your son, He will also give us all things, that in all our troubles we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and that nothing and no one can separate us from your love. May these things underwrite our lives and be the wellspring of our action. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.